Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we have our second Halloween episode for the year with Silas Weir Mitchell's The Case of George Dedlow, which is an 1866 story about a Civil War doctor and officer who gets all his limbs amputated. But if you think that's the last you heard of him... Um, you've never watched a post-credit sequence of a Jason movie or any of the Halloween movies or really any other slasher picture, but it's a case of somebody. <laughs> that it is, yes. So Katie, why'd you want to read it? Okay, so now I realize that the case of George Jedlow actually winds up being a pun by the end, and we'll get to that. But wow, that's why I wanted to read it. Time is a flat circle. Let me go back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't get the pun, so I'm excited to hear this. There's a case of George Dedlow. He's in a case. The He's case the of it. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I got I, I got it now. <laughs> it was a reach, but that's my specialty. <laughs> so number one, I wanted to read it because the good Dr. Mitchell is the doctor who invented the rest cure. Which was when you just basically do a dopamine fast if you're mostly a lady and too nervous. (laughs) And needless to say, it fucked a lot of people up. See Charlotte Perkins Gilman's yellow wallpaper. But (laughs) in any event, you want to know what goes on in the mind of a man like that creating literature. So – do you There's talk about this later because he wanted to do that because he thought that ladies should have more fat and blood in their bodies? Yeah, he wrote a book <laughs> called Fat, fat and, blood. and Blood. Yeah. Wow. How sounds, to like how to get them? <laughs> sounds dope. Uh, also, hey, uh, next Halloween we should do the yellow wallpaper because that story is fucking awesome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yes. It really also, is. Also, like not for nothing, but if you want to be full of fat and blood, pregnant is where that <laughs> could happen. You have an extra liter of blood in your body. Wow. Cool. I mean, that makes sense, but wow. If yeah. you want to know the creepiest shit about pregnancy, am I your guy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Another reason is that this story features a guy who does something that is reminiscent of something, one of the most uh, ridiculous things a real housewife has ever done which is to remove her prosthesis at a dinner party and oh, place right. it onto the, a table where people were eating to prove a point <laughs> I know not what. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did shout she throw out. it at somebody? She didn't throw it. She shoved it. Okay. She slammed it down on the table. Got it. Got it. Got it. I mean that you know it's a that's it's it's a it's a gesture of a kind for sure, mm-hmm. you know. Um Yes, it is that. Yep, that's yeah, a generous way of putting a it. A gombin would be proud. Oh. So I thought it would be a good idea to read the only limb-related story weirder than that story. So yeah. anyway, this one's a little different because this one is also bizarre, but it's more sad and violent and gross Civil War style. It's not as disgusting as it could be, as you will find out a little bit with the context. <laughs> But one of my favorite things about it is that the protagonist is revealed to be a low-key dickhead or a high-key dickhead, (laughs) depending depending on how you see it. And it sort of just comes at you like a magic eye picture. You realize that he's a dick. Yeah. 
There's and, a scene where, like, everyone in the rehabilitation Civil War hospital is, like, they have these nervous fits. And he's, like, every single one of them made me so angry. I wanted to punch them all in the throat, but I had no arms with which to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, 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 yep. doesn't, he doesn't have a lot of chill. And uh, the various not misfortunes much. he suffers does not help with that. So that's a great example. He also cannot stop doing phrenology. And pointing out <laughs> True. who is Ugo. Yeah. 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 That's, another yeah. Th- <laughs> that's another thing we'll get into. But he also behaves like a shithead at a spirit circle he's invited to and gets pissy when a lady's reunited with the ghost of her dead child, which yeah. is very cool. Yeah. And he's, uh, he's unimpressed with spirit rapping, of course, which is when a medium asks questions and ghosts do tap, tap, tap and give you the answer. And yeah. Deadlow, as the narrator, is basically bragging that he knows how they do the trick. So pretty much he's gone to a David Copperfield show and going, I know there's mirrors there. There's right. a mirror. There's yeah. a mirror. That's a magnet. That's a magnet. That's a mirror. I know how it's done. I'm smart. I'm smart. I'm smart. Those yeah, are twins. The, the, yeah. The only thing that pisses me off more than magicians is the like, oh, I know, David Blade isn't shit. I know exactly how to do that kind of guy, you know. <laughs> yep. well, David Blade is the weirdest case because he is actually like a body torture fucking Kafka character who's like, I literally eat glass. Yeah. Oh, yes. no. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, that, yeah. And, which actually, that, yeah, his whole stick really does, you know, point out deep kind of seated like BDSM implications of so yeah. much of the yeah, magic yeah, yeah. world. <laughs> like he, yeah. David Blade just fucking runs with that, which, hey, man, more power to you, you know. He, he goes Destroy with it. Destroy your body. It's yeah. weird, but cool. Yeah. Allow it. Allow it. Two quick things on that. I think I've told about the <laughs> school presentation that somebody gave when I was in, I think, 10th grade, where they made a video with one of the history teachers, and the history teacher's role was to repeat the phrase, oh my god, David Blaine, you're a demon, David Blaine. And I remember nothing <laughs> I else. I think I've heard about this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. I remember nothing else about the video, except for, oh my god, David Blaine, you're a demon, David Blaine, sometimes replays in my head. Yeah. Second thing, I was listening to some true crime podcast or watching some 2020 bullshit and some my and I wasn't really paying any attention but my ears perked up like they never have before when I heard the phrase a well-respected magician (laughs) is this like a peer review situation like well-respected by (laughs) other magicians magicians I think are on the same order as mimes you know <laughs> Yikes! That was a dark thing to say. <laughs> I respect mimes way more. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. As good as Arrest Development is, and it's perfect. Zach Galifianakis is doing the mime. <laughs> yeah, is yeah. is like wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> um, the the other thing I like about this story, and so this is a reread for me, which I should have said at the top, but. I didn't remember this, and it again retroactively becomes a reason why I wanted to read it, the reason I think you should. There's a moment where somebody gets kicked out of a spirit circle, and it's in the most mean girls, real housewives way possible, which is what got my mind going on this track, and now it won't get off of it. But everybody says, I think you should leave. Because you yeah. are upsetting everybody, and everybody is my 
violently unstable chihuahua. So get out. <laughs> get out. Don't come yeah. back. Yeah. Halloween. Ooh, it's scary. I mean, it's <laughs> awfully good. This may, in fact, have been the wildest ride that 20 pages has ever <laughs> taken me on. And like, okay, the lottery, also pretty amazing. I like a lot of things about this. I like the casually rendered versions of ego disarticulation. I think that's cool to just sort of have weird phrases that that sound like a pre-psychoanalytic throwaway. Yeah. I like the discussion of how the ladies at the seance are super hot, but also dead shells of humans. (laughs) I also did the world's easiest Google search that basically amounted to Silas Weir, Mitchell Freud, and found out that yes, of course, Mitchell was definitely a guy who Freud liked. And he wrote a review of the famous, famous, famous to the three of us, (laughs) uh, well-respected doctor, Blood and Fat, an essay on the treatment of certain forms of neurasthenia and hysteria, because... Papa Sigmund was definitely someone who wanted genuine, genuinely to help people with their nervy nerves and their uterus problems. That womb is wandering and we're going to catch it. We're going to catch it. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I think of the Elaine May and Mike Nichols bit where she says that she's nervous and that the doctor's going to examine her and do surgery on her nerves to solve the problem. Um, well he'll examine my nerves and then do surgery I learned also from my Wikipedia excavations that a lot of writers (laughs) after this were like oh you know what could go great in my book is a neurasthenic because that's like a cool human category so like Charlotte Perkins Gilman and Jane Addams were like this is sus as fuck so when I talk (laughs) about it yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah. See, it seems a little misogynist too, among other things, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but Edith Wharton and Henry James were like, hmm, seems interesting. Maybe, you know, I could talk about this in my books about being sad a lot. And I sure love the House of Mirth, so <laughs> yeah. that is it's- not a misogynistic book. At- For real, it's really not. And it's like, oh, actually, like being dreadfully sad is like the condition of. Well, the title led me to believe it was going to be a little different. I know. I'm sorry about that. The House of Giggly Giggly is not really what that book is. I thought there were going to be funny mirrors and we were all going to have a good time in there. (laughs) We didn't. But I still recommend that everyone listening read that book and watch the movie. And those are the things. Also, Henry James. We love Henry James. Um, Oh, yes, we do. There's no scholarship, however, that I can find. Email me. About William James and Silas Weir Mitchell, what actually surprises me a lot, because all of this, oh, like, spooky, your body is doing, like, free and direct body discourse. Yeah, there should be, somebody write that dissertation. Anyway, I have already said the things I want to say. I don't know what else to think, except I also learned that Silas Weir Mitchell's archives, his papers are in Philly, and they're full of the wackiest shit on earth case studies, patient files, writings, I'm sure a little like spirit writings or whatever. And if someone could help me somehow trick my way into getting funding to go to that archive, I will pay you $31 for reviewing my grant. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm, I'm surprised that archive isn't at the Mütter Museum, which Megan, I know you've been to. I've been to. It's amazing. Yeah. If you're ever in Philly, fucking do it. Like script the Franklin Institute. Fuck that shit. <laughs> go, no, to go, to, what, go to go to all of it. What are you doing? Telling people not to go to the museums. Go I'm to just, all of them. They're all good. It's the dinosaurs yeah. and some physicians yeah. museum. It's like what's the other one? Uh, it's a museum of medical art. This one's. The, modern the museum yeah. is a museum of medical oddities. No, no, yeah. no. I'm uh, the Mitchell archives are at the. It's like the Phys- American Physicians Association. Oh, the or uh, the fuck yeah! I uh, forget what it's. Yeah, me too. Yep, yep. But it's all the doctor stuff is in Philly because of uh, Jefferson, right? Not the yeah. man. Yeah, the yeah Jefferson uh, Jefferson University. The hospital. Yeah. Yeah, good. All of them. They will say they have a colon, which had a blockage, which 20 years after I first saw it still gives me nightmares. Um, I can picture the fetuses are what give me nightmares. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, this this guy couldn't take a shit for like 30 years. So, you know, the Weir Mitchell papers are at the Historical Medical Library of the College of Physicians. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Which is where Mutter graduated. So it is like there's a connection. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, doctors and, who did weird shit are all from Philly. Yeah, yes, yeah, <laughs> apparently so. So why why do we do this? So like sometimes I wish I had become a 19th centuryist because as wacky as the 18th century is, I think it's fair to say the 19th is way way crazier. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, well, the American side also has like good books. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean. Yeah. 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 There. There are good books in Britain too, although some of it gets quite boring. Uh, but I, none like, of them are by Charles Dickens. <laughs> uh, that. I mean, that's let's, empirically wrong. But you know. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's table this. We all have. We all have a few bad opinions. But uh, no, so like, I've uh, I, like I've mentioned before, and this was something that Fred pointed out to me years ago. How I love that Victoria Medicine knew just enough to sound like it knew what it was talking about, while still having no clue what it was talking about. So you, you'll get like the pathology of phrenological nervous uh, apoplexy typically presents mm-hmm. with imbalances of the essential fluids in the organ of Irishness. And proceeds yes. to acute criminality and hysterical dementia. <laughs> <laughs> Where is the organ of Irishness located, Doctor? <laughs> it's, it's, it's on the back of the skull, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, that's what I yeah, remember. Yeah. <laughs> so, I like, like, they're really not that far from leeching people and they're doing fucking race science all over the place and shit. But now they have this whole scientific sounding vocabulary around it. And yet, holy shit, these guys somehow did manage to figure out how to do like anesthesia and stuff. So like and they, they, how to keep poop yeah. out of the water system. And yes, those yes. are kind of like the most important things. Yeah. yeah. And they were they were actually like starting to get germ theory kind of right, even though they still didn't wash their hands until the end of the century before operating on people. Well, you know who did though was fucking Mutter. People yeah, thought he was yeah. crazy for doing yes. it. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. But, I still uh, think people who wash their hands are crazy. <laughs> you know, you make a good point. Good, well, if you ever live with a toddler, you might change your mind about that. Right, yeah. But I knew nothing about this story and loved every minute of it. Uh, not only is Silas Weir Mitchell, as we've alluded to, yet another OG Philadelphia luminary. And not only does this story involve a medium making contact with the ghost of this poor dude's legs, which just blew my fucking mind. It's there so cool. is. It, yeah, it's 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 wild. There is even some wackadoodle enlightenment holdover empiricist shit happening. I think. Whoa, <laughs> yeah. does this 
does the subject stop being a coherent structure if you remove a certain amount of sensory inputs? And the way the story raises that question is, of course, insane. But I can't help wondering what the fuck David Hume or John Locke would have thought of this. And I think they would have been like, oh, wow, that's we need to do some more writing now. <laughs> we need to write even longer books. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Treat us on human nature as, as a spry, like 700 pages or something. Yeah, it really flies, though, once you get past the <laughs> oh, first yeah, yeah, three yeah, chapters, yeah, you know? That's my memory from orals, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they say about um, Capital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it just rips. You get past chapter three and you're like, fuck yeah. yeah. And there's that M. Night Shyamalan style twist at the end. Keep reading until you hit it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's bad. Okay, so today we're talking about the the case, the genre of the case, sort of philosophical genealogies that this both takes up and then leads into. And we're talking about how this describes and articulates the post-Civil War body. So, Katie, will you give us the summary? I would be honored. The story is George Shedlow's case of his own case, George Shedlow. And he says straight out of the gate, first paragraph, listen, this did not pass peer review. None of my (laughs) colleagues respect any of this shit. Uh, Much of this may be nonsensical, but here you have it, friends. But we're doing it anyway. Yes, we're doing it anyway. So his dad was a doctor. He went to Jefferson in Philly. You know, Philly, the city. It smells like piss everywhere. And fuck you if you don't like it. Yeah. Seriously. Fuck (laughs) horse if you don't like it. Horse poop. Yeah. Yeah. I'll eat the turds and just you'll like it. Yeah. Anyway, the Civil War breaks out in the middle of college and he does not finish. He goes into the Union Army and the Union Army says, "Uh, hey, listen, even if you don't have your official transcript on you, you can still be a surgeon's assistant. We're in the Civil War. If you own a saw, you're a doctor. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and hey, that is a market improvement from the 18th century where they would just, you know, like in Smollett's Roderick Random, press a dude off the street being like, you look Scottish with your red hair. Fuck you. You're a sailor. (laughs) And then like, oh, wait, you have some rudimentary medical knowledge. Congratulations. You're the ship's surgeon. (laughs) And it I never would also went wrong. Like to write a short story, the first sentence of which is everyone turned this down. I'm yeah. writing it anyway. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. 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 Nobody yeah, yeah. likes this. Yeah, Nobody this, likes yeah. this. Yeah, it definitely has big like I self-published this because the world wasn't ready. They're like the, the cor- corporate publishing yeah. houses were not ready for the truth. I'm ready for my ebook. That's right. I know how the I know how the universe works, but somebody else would only do the math for me. (laughs) We'll see about that. But back to George Dedlow, I suppose. He is in the 15th Indiana Cavalry. And in 19th century Indiana, what's going on? There are a lot of things going on. One of the things going on is that the little tiny microbes that are going to fuse together to become Mike Pence, they are not quite ready yet. (laughs) They are still hiding in butt cracks and on mossy logs. And that'll happen. That'll all happen. But shit still sucks. The food was so bad. And there were all of these people hiding in bushes, jumping out and going pew, pew, and killing them all the time. (laughs) There's malaria and no medicine. Everyone's in a terrible mood. And they also don't have quinine or cocaine, which (laughs) Deadlow tells us is a serious annoyance. It's a serious annoyance. They also don't have food 
but that's maybe coming on a train. So they want to set up a more important mission to score some sweet, sweet 19th century Adderall, and then they'll figure out the eating thing later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, yeah, I, I actually forgot that Quiet Eyed was known about like this early. Uh, but yeah, co- I mean, cocaine. That yeah, like I mean, Freud. Freud was a big believer in the therapeutic effects of cocaine, right? Yes. <laughs> they also carried around excellent ideas such as Ipecac. And uh, yes. lots of, they really? love to castor oil, those guys. Oh, yeah. Any, yeah. Any, anything. It's like, All, oh, you're, anywhere. you're sick. We, we got to make you Clear poop it out. out your, your doo-doo butt or we got to make you barf. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the yep. that's the only way to say it. So, so see, they are past leeching people. They know you just got to make them shit and barf all over the place. That's right. You just have to, <laughs> you just have to barf it. You just have to clear it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just get the toxins out. Just get yeah. the toxins out. This is so much more modern than I ever knew. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they send... George Jedlow out on this mission for blow and tonic water and he gets lost but oh yay there's a log cabin with half-dressed children of the corn and quote a tried up old woman who (laughs) probably I like to think was 24 years old at the time and just looked (laughs) like one of the California raisins due to the way you aged in the 19th century yeah 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 can't, can't afford her dentures yet no not yet but we'll get there. So Dedlow says, hi, log cabin lady. May I have directions, please? She says, I didn't hear anything. You hear anything? Mm, must have been the wind. Okay. So she ignores the shit out of him, which is probably the correct thing to do. But he notices as he's riding away that he's sort of been barred in. And yeah. he's climbing up to take one of the take the top bar off so he can get out of there. And he, uh, oh, dang, it was a trap. Yeah. And I have to say, like, as I, as I, as reading up to this scene, I was definitely a little bit picturing, uh, uh, deliverance when, when Reynolds and Void and the rest of them first get to the, the gas station where the, the banjo player is. Like, I Mm definitely, I I definitely feel like a little bit of that was being implied. A little dueling banjos energy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 After the banjos have dueled, he wakes up next to Oscar the Grouch in a trash can (laughs) back in the log cabin, and both of his arms are all fucked up. He's been shot through one of his biceps, broken everything. He's captive to the Confederates, and they're taking him wherever they're taking him. They have to put him on a cart because he can't walk. And his right hand, it was numb, and we can do all the red right hand jokes you want, um, at any time, but it starts burning and it's getting worse and worse and worse. It's like he put it in the ouchie box from Dune and he is really and truly in agony. And I just want to pause to say this guy was in the Civil War and in spite of what Ken Burns may lead you to believe, it wasn't fun. Yeah. No one had a good time. Why? Whoever's editing this right now is when we need to queue up some of that like very melancholy like piano version of Battle Hymn of the Republic or something, you know, that to, oh. to, to, to go underneath this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> My dearest podcast, I fear yeah. this episode will never end. <laughs> Tom, I may Tom have thinks. left my arms in the Tennessee frontier, my life, but you know. <laughs> 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 uh. Yeah. But any, yeah, not fun. Uh, we're having good time, but we're doing a podcast in the modern day. And George Dedlow is back, and he is on this cart screaming in agony. Every single second is total torture because his hand is 
his excruciating pain and his kidnappers basically get so nervous that they send him to a confederate hospital in atlanta and the doctor's like you're kind of a doctor too i'll treat you nice so he's getting medical attention but his right arm is just more and more painful than ever the hand is alive only to pain is what he says about it yeah like that and that is i so i don't know like this was when i first started to be thinking like empiricism as a framework the concept of like aliveness and like sensory data but in this purely like like negative kind of sensory data i thought was interesting but i but i don't i mean i also don't want to like be imposing my 18th century as kind of fixations on what i assume also has a lot to do with like certain kind of like mid 19th century anxieties about this stuff no but i think you're totally right to point out that there's a genealogy happening. So right. the particular way that it gets people get obsessed with it in the 19th century, I think is sort of a manifestation of those same preoccupations that are going on in the 18th century and mm-hmm. and that may if that if that didn't make sense now, it might make more sense later as we talk about this stuff more. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, well, gotcha. Which we totally should. Yeah. And I don't have any great answers about this, but it's super interesting. Okay. Cool. Cool. So now we have one of the most fucked up scenes that I think I'm going to go out on a limb and say that any of us have ever read. So this Jesus dickhead comes up to him in the hospital and goes, you think this is bad? Try going to hell, pal. Yeah, It'll be like this all the time, times yeah. infinity. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he says, for all, for all eternity, all of you will be just like that hand, knowing pain only. And this freaks the shit out of Deadlow so thoroughly that he faints, the idea of universal pain. Mm-hmm. And finally, he gets that arm amputated with no anesthetic of any kind. And they talk a little bit about this a bunch, uh, this sort of anesthesia negotiations, what's available in different places. But he has been in such nonstop agony for weeks and weeks that he says that getting his arm chopped off is like the highlight of his month. Mm-hmm. And- he looks at the arm on the ground and he thinks how curious and the quote is, there is the pain and here am I. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and he says he feels so so relieved and so great after they've hacked his arm off with again, and I can't stress this enough, no fucking anesthesia. Yeah. Yeah. He falls asleep while they're closing the flaps, he says. Yeah. And, and I, so that actually was interesting because the, the doctors, like, there's no anesthesia because basically, like, the union's, like, blockading that, which I mean, I'm sure, I'm, yeah, I'm sure that that did happen. But I also, like, my, I mean, I know anesthesia, I think, like, what, chloroform is what, the 1830s or 1840s or something like yeah. that. But it took a little while to catch on. And my understanding was in, in the Civil War, like, the sheer number of amputations that they had to do, union and Confederate, like, kind of, it's like, like you, j- you didn't have time for that sort of those sort of nice yeah. no. you know, like uh, it, it was literally yeah. thirty thousand. God, that's insane. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, both ether and chloroform are in the eighteen thirties or forties. I don't remember, but like, there's no way. I don't think you can really administer that stuff very well in the field right so it's like shit you would do at the philadelphia college of physicians or whatever yeah yeah and that yeah and i i know like with with uh with with royal navy surgeons it was like a can you get an arm off in less than a minute and like if you could it's like you're great like we don't care anything yep. else about the, you, you know? those are the that's you just gotta yeah. be a you just gotta be a big boy and good with yeah. a saw speed counts for something yeah so he's got this he's got his first amputation and he's a prisoner 
of the Confederates for months. And then he goes back to the army as a captain. And there were a lot of people who, this is this real side note, but there were people who went back to battle with bonkers ass injuries shit that was like like bullet holes that were still draining and as long yeah. as they could kind of keep them open to get like a handkerchief through them and do a little trick they would just go back and do more yeah. war yeah well and I, and I think yeah i mean that was that was an amazing detail too and i think that just speaks to like the sheer carnage i mean like it still to this day is the deadly deadliest conflict involving the united states uh or i'm sorry it's the deadliest conflict like for the united states of any conflict the u.s has been involved in and uh the population was drastically small you know what i mean so just the proportion yeah. of like death and suffering is just i mean still even today just unimaginable yeah it was it- 600,000 people. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and of that's a, enormous, but like as a, also like as a proportion of population. Yeah, and that's what I mean, yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly, and all, the vast majority of them were men between the ages of 15 to 25. So how you right. gonna get married? It'd be tough. Yeah. Maybe no, not 25, I, but and, I might And have, I think- no, I'm just saying it's like a funny – I wonder if there was like a bunch of extremely horny ladies who were like, this lady over here looks great and in oh. the eight, 1860s and 70s. Yeah. Wow. There were so – yes. Sorry. I just – no, I, I just looked this up. 31 million was the population of the US in 1860. Oh, my like, God. So that's, 600 – yeah. That's 2% yeah. of the population? Yeah. Yeah. Like just Fuck, incredible. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, sorry, what I was saying, when you're talking about like uh, the, the, how many young men died, I kind of like, you know, this is sort of like Europe at like 1920, just, just like massive did like this. And like, yeah, I mean, what you're missing is largely a young set of people who are like, oh, this is the new generation. They're just like fucking gone, you know? And everybody's got somebody. Everybody yeah. has yeah. something right. specifically that's sort of touched their family in some way. Yeah. But did we get um, an outbreak of lesbianism? I bet we did. Good hope. It's just not in the le- it's just not right. in the rec- public record. Right. Yeah. Dig around. I'm sure. I'm sure you can find evidence. It's got to be there somewhere. There are letters. Some of them are horny. We'll we'll get to the bottom of this. <laughs> so anyway, he goes back to the army and oh look, he's doing war stuff. The battle, the battle, and he talks about the battle. <laughs> he talks about this battle he's in, and he's like, "I don't remember a lot, but boy, do I remember the last part." And you're like, "This isn't going to go well for you or your limbs, is it, George?" It's really not. <laughs> so it doesn't, and he wakes up under a tree. The doctors are busy at an operating table that's literally two barrels and a piece of plywood, and. Presumably, once they get finished, one of them will change into the barrel and the other will put on butt flat pajamas. That's just <laughs> what I like to imagine. Yeah, yep. It's going to happen in my head. And meanwhile, this is like the point at which I texted, I think both of you, but maybe just Tristan and said, like, um, this is like, this is, I, I had a real Monty Python moment when I was reading this. Yeah. 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 It's- <laughs> something else where it's yeah. like take an arm take a leg take the other le- like yeah uh-huh. it's a it's a little bit like the black knight scene for, for sure um it's a yep. little uh, holy I, grail i also want to so i feel less bad laughing about this so i'm sure this drew on like mitchell's like notes and experiences but this isn't there's nothing like about like george dedlow was not a real person right no he wasn't like a guy there's right. 
a man who maybe was sort of the inspiration for okay, him, yeah. but no, he wasn't right. a guy. Okay, because I mean, Ducky not a literary character is one thing. Like uh, someone who actually like went through this, I would feel a little bit bad about, you know. No, and there are reasons to see him as a literary character. Really, all the times he says, so spoiler alert, he's going to lose all the limbs. Yeah. But right. he says all the time, I am the one who has lost more limbs than anyone. I'm the, I've lost the most of yeah. anybody. Like he's yeah. so yeah. beyond yeah. Uh, the exemplary figure for so such unlikely reasons. But, I mean, not that unlikely in the 19th century, but right. it's sort it's of. Like, it's, it's like kind of the worst luck that you could possibly imagine, right? I don't know, man. Yeah. I've read The Sun Also Rises, and I think that guy would lose all his limbs to get his dick back. True. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Like, Jay, yeah, Jake Barnes yeah. is like, well, I don't that- know why this guy is mad. <laughs> yeah, but- <laughs> oh, boy. <sighs> okay. Not, not, uh, I don't want to make any of these trades. So, <laughs> anyway, back to Deadlow. So, I mean, some people he have wakes to walk up. around their whole lives with no dick, and isn't that a tragedy? That Freud thought that this was like. Right, he did think this was actually kind of a problem. <laughs> he gets a thigh wound. That's about penises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, put that in your pipe full of limbs no he gets hit with some type of explodey bad stuff you don't want your thighs and it's in the it's in the thighs and the hospital steward says yeah buddy i'm gonna tell you what happened but there nobody can do anything for you i'm really sorry man but he so they they just let him chill under the tree and he stays alive and the doctors wind up getting to him after they're done with the saw and some other people and uh, so they chloroform him. He wakes up again, and he says all these really interesting things that we can talk a little bit about. Like, the, but the, it's basically like I, I, ret- I return to myself. You know, mm-hmm. um, he returned to like real existence, and he says, "My calf, it really hurts." And the guy's like, "It can't be because the mother is the surgeon." No, that's a riddle. <laughs> the attendant tells him it's impossible because he got both of his legs amputated up pretty high on the thigh and then they sent him he gets better they sent him to an actual hospital in nashville he gets hospital gangrene which was a huge problem and 45 percent of people who got gangrene during the civil war died so this is also yeah they uh yeah effect of having neither antibiotics nor that great of an understanding of germ theory right still gonna put in a plug for no no boy though in which a character gets his uh gets an infection in his amputated limb because it's just better written well yes (laughs) it's really no comparison i'd also like to put in a plug for maggots because they really save people's lives who have wounds no kidding yeah they do yeah they're 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 used as treatment yes today yeah but they are full of poop they only eat dead flesh so so you can put them you can basically like put them in a wound and bandage it up and let them eat everything dead and then take them out and there's no infection yeah i think they've been using it for uh, particularly for kind of like uh, uh antibiotic resistant infections right yeah it's really it's really cool yes people You're that with me no, no, seriously. No, look, it, look it up, except be wary of the images that are going to turn up. I mean, it's gross, but it's like, yeah. I don't know. On the scale of like, don't Google yeah. it, I'm, that's not the worst yeah. Yeah. thing that I should Google. 
Yeah. No, and the way they do it, I, this is such a digression, but I saw the video of them doing it to some lady, and basically they just like – it's like they take a vial and dump it and then bandage it, so it's not – it's actually not as gross as it seems. Yeah. Well, Even. like you plug the word maggots into Google, and the first thing that comes up is maggots for medical use. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a th- it's a real thing. Yeah, it is. They're little tiny heroes. No shit. Maggot therapy. <laughs> so anyway, so gangrene, yeah, gangrene. We don't want, we don't want to get that. that. He, yeah, he loses his his, his his remaining arm. Yeah, he loses his remaining arm, and then he loses his remaining his remaining limb. That's that's all he had. And he talks about how he feels about. There's a the most famous quote I think from this story is his what he says when he wakes up after all of his limbs have been amputated and he says against all chances i recovered to find myself a useless torso more like some strange larval creature than anything of human shape of my anguish and horror of myself i dare not speak i have dictated these pages not to shock my readers but to possess them with facts in regard to the relation of the mind to the body and i hasten therefore to such portions of my case as best illustrate these views so we have this moment where it's total horror and then his total horror and pain, and then it gets turned really quickly into uh, science for him. The, the fact that, yeah, that this is like the character is supposed to be a doctor, right? So that like he's got, uh, I, I don't know, I, I kind of feel like in, in one way, he's like you could almost see that as, as uh, well, coping with trauma by like intellectualizing for sure. But but I mean, also it's like the, the other thing, just like the literary effect is like, we kind of get that that's what the story actually cares about is the like, yeah, yeah, okay, so this guy loses his lens. Now, like, let's think about what that questions that races for the subject or how the body works and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. He's he does a lot of that work, which <laughs> for yeah. you. Yeah. But in ways that are not not quite. I don't know. Not not quite all there. Yeah. What happens after this scene is that he's transferred to what is what he refers to as the stump hospital hospital, basically where there are just simply so many amputees from the war. And they've got somebody who's ma- who makes uh, prosthetic limbs there and they try to make him a leg or to fashion a leg into an arm for him but this his says his stumps are too painful and they can't bear any pressure so there's again lots of lots of stuff going on about the sensation in the remaining parts of the body the intensification of it and also the sense of lack that he has isn't this something that happens all the time like now right like they have people have a terrible time with prosthetic fit yes it's true yeah, and I'm sure that, you know, and prosthetics are so much more advanced now. I mean, you can only imagine. And I want to say, like, the phantom pain thing I thought was really interesting. I mean, I'm sure, like, people were sort of aware of that. I mean, amputations obviously been going on for thousands of years. But theories of the brain are starting to emerge. I think that suddenly, because you know, less just an observation of something that happens when someone loses a limb and, like, oh, wait, what the fuck? Why? The nerves are gone. What the hell is happening? You know? Yeah, that's totally right. So it was observed bef- in the 18th century, but Mitchell is the first one to call it phantom phantom limb. Um, uh-huh. I think the phantom limb thing, of course, is that it evokes the spiritualism stuff, but right. that's when it enters the popular lexicon in a way that people can understand. And also it has a reason to be discussed broadly in society because there are so many amputees at that moment. Right, right. So in Deadlow says he's in the hospital with hundreds of amputees and that he's he meets men there that have lost an arm and a leg or both arms, but, quote, none like myself stripped of every limb. 
what he says also is he repeats this a bunch that he is as comfortable as kindness could make him. So he's getting the nurses are coming and reading to him and dictating notes that he's speaking. He has it, it seems like a social life and a sort of intellectual professional life on the margin, certainly. But he's in an interesting position just to kind of emphasize that again. And he, what he wants to do, he says, is learn from other limbless folk and from myself as to peculiar feelings noticed in regard to lost members. So he members, member, I know members, but he's got this pain in his uh, phantom uh, hand, and he makes this observation, drawing not only on his experience but others, and says that uh, eventually his pain clears up and. Um, once the pain leaves, the sense of having that limb faded away entirely is a quote and another quote. The brain keeps the pain ever mindful of the missing part. So this pain in his right hand, it's so strong that he begins to disbelieve that it's not there. But once he has no pain in the right arm, he begins to forget that they ever existed. They disappear to him entirely. So that's just a way of getting at what's going on without doing the whole mechanics thing that he goes into. and then. He's then transferred to another hospital for injuries and diseases of the nervous system. And that's where his he's in the ward with patients with paralysis, same fight stance, wounds of nerves. And there are a bunch of like this one guy, he can't even wear shoes because he's in such bad pain everywhere. Like he just has to basically wet himself with water and suffer in total hysterics. And he says he sees this variety of suffering, quote, from which I alone could not fly. So he's transferred into the paralytic ward and that's where he begins to eat and sleep less and his heart slows down. And he also becomes very fixated and dislocated from identity, perceiving himself as less of a person or less of George Dedlow. So he finds himself asking, if I were really George Dedlow. Uh, so he's documenting this change that makes him less conscious of himself is what he says. Yeah. And th- that to me is where it's like, it's like, this. okay, this is like fully gone off the rails, but in a way that I think is like super interesting in terms of like how these concepts are working. Yeah. So I mean, if you, if your understanding of the subject, and this would come out of empiricism is built on, uh, you know, everything, you know, is from the senses and suddenly you have drastically reduced the amount of sensory input. Well, does that make the subject cohere less? And I mean, it, it's a crazy question, but it's also like, I just, we see a lot of like how they, you know, for, 150 years before this we're like starting to work through what is the mind like where does Mm -hmm. that come from like how does the mind maintain its coherence um and what is the relationship between mind and body um all of i mean uh, all of which are still open questions but i mean i think like this is like they're just starting to kind of get a handle on like some of the scientific underpinnings of that yeah absolutely and there's this incredibly cool part that kind of shows how far they would take it so he starts wondering how well first off what he says is i found out that in fact you're you're you are not your brain but right. what it made me wonder i'm ventriloquizing george edlow is how little of a person could there be to and still and still have you could still say you have a person yeah so nice. yeah and these questions are not stuff that we got figured out today either by no. the way right so he is speculating and doing all sorts of metaphysical thought, and he meets a tall, boneless chicken of a man 
who has a nerve injury and he's a spiritualist. Deadlow sees he has limbs and he's like, you're better off than I am. And he's like, I am better off than you are, but not for the reason you think. I go to new church and what we do is we talk to dead people, the great and the good. All the best people taking dirt naps. We chat with them. And <laughs> dirt naps. He says, I don't think I've ever heard that. <laughs> <laughs> My dad used to say that. Um, but he says nothing dies. It just changes form. And Deadlow says, prove it. And the guy says, come to our spirit circle then. And Deadlow goes and, as I mentioned, does unflattering physiognomy to him before <laughs> accepting the invitation. Though he had to do it. And he gets to the circle and continues uh, locating a ghost. And extrapolating facts about their personality. The female authoress is hot, but uh, well, or or her book. It, it we can't tell. It says he sees a female authoress more pleasant to look upon than her books. books. So I don't know how we don't know how good she looks, how bad the books look, but it's not a nice thing to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He does full Joan Rivers red carpet treatment at this seance. Yeah, and then the other lady is like, "Well, she would have been hot if she weren't so sad." Right. Yeah, yes, that's yeah, right. yeah. He's got a problem. Yeah. He is a dick, yeah. He sees a display of mediumship, all of these the spirit wrappings going on, and then the first medium is tapped out, but I'm ching pun, that's another one. <laughs> uh, from all the spirits he's been encountering, he's, he has an exhausted nervous system, it says. Don't we all, buddy? Yeah. But <laughs> so, so Deadlow gets to go now. He gets he gets his his medium, his medium is Sister Euphemia, a great name for a medium. And she says, "Okay, well, I'm gonna do mediumness. Think of a spirit." And he does. And she's like, "Seems like you thought of two spirits." <laughs> and there's some tap tap tappy tap tap ghost taps. And she's writing stuff down, figuring out some correspond to letters and some to numbers. And then she finally spells the whole thing out. United States. Army Medical Museum numbers three four eight six three four eight seven, and he Deadlow is like holy fucking shit. That's my legs, and <sighs> this is yeah. uh, I'm doing yeah. my I best, will, but yeah. yeah, I will breeze. I will breeze through this, but I simply must uh, read it real quick. What followed, I ask no one to believe except those who, like myself, have communed with the things of another sphere. Suddenly, I felt a strange return of my self-consciousness. I was re-individualized, so to speak. A strange wonder filled me. And to the amazement of everyone, I arose and, staggering a little, walked across the room on limbs invisible to them or me. It was no wonder I staggered, for, as I briefly reflected, my legs had been nine months in the strongest alcohol. At this instant, all my new friends crowded around me in astonishment. Presently, however, I felt myself sinking slowly. My legs were going, and in a moment I was resting feebly on my two stumps upon the floor. It was too much. All that was left to me fainted and rolled over senseless. Yes. Reading some Hegel. Like, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Divergence uh, into, like, philosophical bonkery yeah. has happened here. Yeah. Yes. It yeah, well, right. And also just the idea that body parts 
to have no brain, like if they're not attached to your body, have no connection to the brain, could have like a spirit to become ghosts with is just yeah. like, what? I mean, and then like, what is Because like, like this, I, I mean, I actually think a fairly stable theological idea, I, I, mean, I mean, Katie, tell me if I'm wrong on this, is that the spirit is like, you know, the soul is like coherent in a way and like indivisible in a way that it's like, wait, are you like, is that actually yeah. not true? Right? <laughs> like. Oh, well, the other thing that will really blow your mind about this is why are the legs continuing on to be ghost legs of things that have happened after he's already dead? Right, right. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, why are they still yeah. doing shit? Yeah, yeah. In addition to being completely – but spiritual so, – so actually, it makes sense in a spiritualist context a little bit because they were very much uh, preoccupied with um, – like returning limbs to people and say and saying your limbs will be back with you. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, the story ends on kind of a sad note. He returns west and he says he's surrounded by every form of kindness and possible comfort. But quote, I have so little surety of being myself that I doubt my own honesty in drawing a pension and feel absolved from gratitude to those who are kind to a being who is uncertain of being enough himself to be conscientiously responsible. It is needless to add that I am not a happy fraction of a man, and I am eager for the day when I shall rejoin the lost members of my corporeal family in another and a happier world. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, you're right, it's sad, but it's also just weird as fuck. Yeah. My corporeal family. Yeah. It's also, I don't know. It's like, I was trying to think myself as I read into the kind of historical context, because like, you're right, Megan. I mean, early on, the way this is described, there is like kind of a Monty Python-esque kind of moment to it. And it's so weird. And like the the philosophical questions it's thinking of, I mean, they're, they're interesting, but at the same time, just so fucking crazy and bizarre. There's just a little kind of like goofiness about it. But I mean, just like also understand or like remembering the kind of like scale of like sort of suffering and stuff at, at the time. And that, yeah, I mean, just not knowing a lot of stuff we know now. It, I don't know. It's one of those things that kind of like look somewhat ridiculous in retrospect, but I can see it how at the time, like this is actually like deeply horrifying and upsetting, you know? No, totally. P- oh, people also were confused about whether this was real. I mean, like to us, it's like, well, yeah, okay, this is this is some goofy 19th century stuff. I could totally, like in the era of the medium is the seance being like, could this actually work? Could we use this to sort of treat the the psychical wounds of like uh, yep. uh, veterans and stuff, you know? Well, and there yeah. are historical examples. If, if neither of you or one of you hasn't seen the Todd Browning movie Freaks, which is the performers are um, circus performers in the 20s. And mm-hmm. one of them is a what they call in the movie the human torso. And it's a man who has neither arms nor legs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's an incredibly amazing scene of him carrying a, a knife in his teeth to go wreak revenge. It's dope oh, as fuck. Yeah. I hope he I, got yeah. his revenge. He did. Good for him. If you're good, if you're carrying a knife in your teeth, you deserve it, man. So t- context? Yeah, yeah. Are we going to learn some about, are we going to learn some about Weir Mitchell? Because I bet he had some stuff in his life. We're going to learn a little bit about Weir Mitchell and we're going to learn about uh, some other shit too. He did have some stuff in his life. That's a fact. He was a union doctor. Yes, he did really come into contact with this stuff. And it was written a year, so the story was published in The Atlantic a year after the Civil War. So 1866. So this is like fresh. We're talking fresh after. Mm-hmm. He was incredibly haunted by everything he saw during the war till he died. And he and he was 
that's why he was obsessed with sort of figuring these things out. And yeah, on his influ- on his influenza deathbed, when he died in 1914, which we totally knew, and Tristan didn't just look up. <laughs> he re- he was writing about how he was not like quite visited by the ghost of, but quite haunted by all of his patients. Apart from this, he was a legit neurologist as one could be at the time. So he was he was also a, a man of letters. He wrote a lot, and this was later republished in uh, Autobiography of a Quack. It was also, it's important to say, published anonymously at first. He was anonymous. Mm-hmm. And that also may have been part of the confusion about whether this was a real story or not. But his famous thing, of course, is inventing the rest cure and being the first person to call phantom limbs, phantom limbs, and do real study of what was happening to all of these people. So did he not also uh, pioneer fucking shock treatment? Yeah, he did. And there's a little bit in the story about this, but he did do some stuff with electricity. So what he did mostly was... The stuff with dead bodies where you would shock a muscle. Oh, okay. Right. That, that like, right. And that, the, the, the kind of reanimating life force, like, that's the thing, you know, that I have Frankenstein, right? Like, I mean, that, uh, that, exactly. that idea. And, and I can, and I can see that too. Like, you observe the, the muscle has this response to electricity, like, uh, that, you know, it could be reanimated. Then, okay, all right. Well, so maybe, maybe the soul is divisible and real and inhabits our body parts or something, you know? It to- totally like this is all this is all happening all on top of each other and it's fucking incredible. Yeah. In any event, he also is notable because he really did make a lot of notes about the emotional and psychological aspects of losing limbs and about many of his for many of his other patients and treatments, if uh, you know fill- filling people with fat and blood and such. There's a little masculinity stuff going on, but he said one of the things said about people with painful phantom limbs is that they could be redu- reduced to hysterics as if they were little girls. Whoa. And Megan, you'll like this, but I don't know if it's true. Apparently part of the inspiration for Freud having people lay on a couch, like, you know, prone on the couch was uh was Mitchell. I read that because it's a it's a it's like a version of the rest cure. Like you can yep. take the medicine of the talking cure by being still. Yep. Uh-oh. It's dope as fuck. It it surely is. It surely is. And yeah, so like we're finding we're at this time where we're we're doing a lot of the physiological and psychological and figuring out how they go together. And so we still don't know. So that didn't go perfect. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this thing, uh, I'll I'll say I'll say a couple more things, but I'll keep it snappy. One thing uh, that we've already touched on is that uh, spiritualists were big on this thing that uh, when people die they'll be returned to a form that feels restored. So not only people who were missing limbs, they would let them know that in the afterlife, you'll be returned to your limb, but also for families who had concerns like when I see, when I die and see my son, will he have all of his arms and legs? So this is a real thing that people care about. And there's another thing to talk about here with the, um, the science and technology aspect of the whole thing. So we t- again, like these are some things we've talked about, but spiritualists considered themselves to be empiricists, spiritual investigators. They uh, said that theirs was a religion of proof. 
And so they used technological terms also to talk about what they were doing, like the spiritual telegraph. That's what a medium is, a spiritual telegraph. And there's also the electricity stuff that we talked a little bit about um, in the 19th century. So there, it'd been going on a little bit for quite some time, but in the 19th century, it really starts to sort of like blow up this use of electricity. In addition to that, the other sort of big change we have, and I think we're going to talk about this more, is the technology of view, of, of viewing and interacting with the battlefield and the bodies of the soldiers and people who who lost limbs. So the Union Army Surgeon General wanted to have a collection of all the limb amputations, so he made a centralized repository of them. Basically, they wanted to take pictures of every patient and specimen from the battlefield. So like they were doing medical photos before, but this was a huge moment where it extremely blew up and there were all sorts of other implications too like if you uh, if you went and, and cooperated and got your your missing limb photographed you were el- you became eligible for benefits that you would not otherwise be entitled to and you were eligible to receive uh to, to pay for you could get if you paid for it uh, a prosthesis that shows that some things have not changed in American medicine. Yeah. The fucking, they made <laughs> yeah. them pay for their own goddamn limbs. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy as fuck. Medicare for all. Yeah. yeah. yeah indeed. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, the, yeah, the, the, the photography stuff is really interesting. And I'm not going to have a lot of thoughts about that. Um, and in this period, but I've heard the first world war, being described as like this event where technology had so far outstripped like kind of well just like like military practices and stuff like i mean that you basically like created mechanized death but like hadn't yet like the thinking behind like what that meant hadn't come up to that's true of the civil war as well you know like and and so so it's like in some ways the civil war is like just is a precursor of like what happened in the first world war. Um, but, but yeah, like the immediacy of the photograph just makes it inescapable in a way that even if a previous, and, and there were, I mean, you know, like the 30 years war killed like so like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, you know, you couldn't disseminate that information nearly at the same scale and with the same rapidity and the same kind of visceralness that you could with uh, like mo- the modern newspaper, but also like photographic technology that just never really existed before this mm-hmm. moment. Um, which, yeah, it's kind of fascinating that the way that that would have and, and horrifying the way, but that that would have had to have shaped the public's perception of what this meant. Oh yeah. There's, I mean, there's just no question that the photography changed the whole scope of what war would mean because like, and part of that is, when we'll talk about this in a minute is the sort of like technologies of the body that shift in the middle of the 19th century. But one of those things was that you may not have anything to remember a member of your family by if you don't have a picture of them. So this is like family photographs are are being sort of invented around this time as well as postmortem photography. Like we've all probably seen those pictures of people with their babies who have recently died. And it's sort of like, it's, I know this is, is quite sad, but it's, it's evidence that that person was ever alive. Yeah. 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 Well, and I like, yeah. And I mean, that, that's, 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 just, I mean, just like tragic uh, stuff, but like, 
I like, I don't know, sort of like another aspect of, of that. I, I don't know about you guys. I find photographs of historical figures from this time just kind of crazy to look at. Like there's there are photographs oh, yeah. of Andrew fucking Jackson, right? Yeah. Which Looking is just nuts as hell. Yeah, I mean, you get it's like, I'm not I'm not a physiognomist, but I think you can kind of see his fucking evil like written on his like dumbass face. You oh, know? I fully totally agree. It doesn't physiognomist to see to see evil crazy eyes. Yeah, no, exactly. But it's just murder, like, evil murder crazy eyes. Yeah, no, totally. But it, you know, you're, you're just looking at that shit, and you're like, this motherfucker was born in the uh, in the 18th century, and I'm looking at a photograph of him. Yeah, <laughs> like this guy was born before the U the American Revolution, and I can see a fucking photograph, like the same shit. When I like load up TMZ, I lo- like the same technology. You know, like this is actually yeah. what he looked like, <laughs> yeah. and that's fucking wild. Like, and indeed. Deeply unsettling. I mean, it's not like like someone who's died like much more recently. I don't find it nearly as unsettling as. But it, I don't know. There's just something about like the remoteness, and yet like the the photograph makes it clear that it's not actually that remote from us. You know? Yeah, it's not that remote from us. But the way that we, the way that most people interact with photos of dead bodies now is is just through conspiracy. Like yeah. the the yeah. last oh, dead yeah. body people looked at a lot was Jeffrey Epstein's. Right. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Because they're trying to get clues. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That never even crossed my mind. I mean, I wonder, like, if this is just by virtue of, I, it doesn't seem as strange to me to look at those photographs, maybe just because of, like, looking at so many of them. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and knowing that the technology, it's partly that the technology of the mobile camera doesn't change until the early 20th century. And that's when it starts to feel uncanny to me. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get that. Yeah, I mean, the, the the setting for portrait does give it a kind of artificiality, among other things. But it's just, I don't know. It's like you don't, I don't, I don't have that feeling looking at a painting from the era or earlier. But like a photograph, it's like this is this is weird in some way. You know, you're so, you're this is that's what Baudelaire thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, well, all of the writers in that period of time were like, I have opinions <laughs> on photography because it was such a weird medium, like such yeah. a. It's as though everyone who ever wrote a book wrote about the internet now. Which, P.S. They do. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, also, like the the uh, some of the technology, and you know much more about this than I do, but like the like the 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 daguerreotype, uh, it, it almost looks like more real than some of the later like what were properly photographic technologies, right? I mean, or you know, I I, I don't actually understand the difference, but I know it relates to the chemical process of how the yeah. image is produced, and like some of the early versions of that, it's just they're super sharp and vivid mm-hmm. in a way that it's like whoa, you know, it, it, there is kind of like an almost an uncanny candy valley effect happening yeah i mean the daguerreotypes are like okay the ones that are crazy vivid are the silver ones oh yeah right right right, right. so and- like the carter ones are are wild yeah but it's also you know like bart says that the photograph is always gesturing toward death yeah yeah uh but the the photograph is like centrally not centrally well a body technology yeah Right. And body technologies are central to this story because the question of like whether you can be represented by your parts, I think is important. Right. And this is partly, Katie, what you're talking about. Right. If you can have your bits photographed, then there's like this, this 
uh, synecdoche of what the body even fucking is. So to sort of connect it to the to the display and collection of his legs, it's a way of keeping hold of these things that are uh, that by rights should be moving and are no longer. Mm-hmm. It is in that it is in that way, and also the the way you collect and look at photographs, you a photo album, and this is in around the Civil War was when the there were a bunch of photo albums that basically got passed out to people. Mm-hmm. So, Katie, you had sort of like mentioned the the thing the it's the case it's the case of George Dudlow, and so what what's at stake in calling it that? So I have thoughts about this and none of them cohere into a single thing, but there are a couple of things that I would say might be fruitful for discussion. And one is that this case study is a self-suck. So he is George Dedlow doing the case of George Dedlow, but actually he's not. This is fiction. So we have genre on genre. We have a genre sandwich. And the case is what we've chosen. And it is also... I was going to do a really bad pun. I was going to say it's encased in fiction, but it was too stupid, but then I couldn't get out of it. So here we are. Um, <laughs> so I think that matters in terms of a case. You don't do you don't do a case study. You don't crack the case on yourself. And there's a kind of irony to that because empirically you should have the most information, but actually, in fact, you're the worst judge of what's going on with you. Probably. So it also matters here that this is a case that doesn't fit the genre enough to get past the scrutiny of other professionals. So other doctors are like, no, this is not a case. I still love that he's such a pee pants about it, too. That he's just like, did you not want my story? Well, fuck you, because I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, (laughs) take it from the, yeah, at the top, he says, hey, listen. (laughs) But the other thing that I think about this, this case thing, is that we're supposed to understand something about the case study in the case as insufficient to contain a person and in that way it's part of a corpus so if you're trying to figure out the corpus of george dedlow you have you have to have all of this shit like you have you have the let like the all these representations right like you have his own self-representations you have his legs that are collected yeah you have we don't have any actual photos here, but there there would have been if he were a dude. Like there would have been pictures of this of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So again, where we begin and end is not really. So we open the case and shut it in these ways that don't really make sense. Yeah. yeah. Um. What's up with that? So yeah. Well, and I was anybody. I was be curious just to hear you, you guys, uh, both both of whom studied uh, with Lauren Berlin, to think a little about just what the case, like the case as a thing, signifies. Because, like, one thing to me that is like in, in, in the Victorian era, you have all these the case, this like is the strange case of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, right? Like yeah. that, like the case, like at once gestures towards like this this conveys some sort of like truth right that that, like kind of like broadly applicable but it also is weird or it's not a case right so it's like in one ways it's like what's aberrant about it that makes it worth you know like that makes it kind of a subject of study but then at the same time like the, the sort of like that which is aberrant or unusual is telling you something that's fundamentally true uh and, and it's like kind of more universal so it's like there's a, it's a tension in that it like kind of works in both directions right 100 percent. 
Yeah, I think it's also like, and you know, they're dead, so Lauren can't yell at me. But there's a, there's a way that I think of this is it's trying to give an example of something that is actually not particularly coherent. Mm-hmm. But having a case gives you it gives you something like an exemplar, so you're looking at something that is actually like quite abstract. So the thing, so by studying the case, you're able to have something like a picture of a concept that's much more abstract. And so like the, the one that I always, you know, and I teach Dora all the time, but like one of the reasons it's such an exceptional and readable case study is that Freud is trying to work through not just like the concept of hysteria, but all of its like attendant problems. And it's, he writes tons of shit that's like, he, he does science at hysteria, but the case study is legible and coherent in a very different way. It's didactic always. Yeah. You're supposed to learn something from it. And Tristan, exactly as you said, it's it's representative and yet also has to be extraordinary enough to merit to merit consideration to be a puzzle of some kind. I think there's a difference between – that might be productive – a difference between the case and the case study. So when we have an open case, you're actually trying to figure something out. There's something active going on. And then the case study is always retrospective stuff. Mm. And so if we think about what you're learning as you as you solve or document a case, it's different from what you learn from a case study. And in, in this in this case, part of what you're supposed to learn, I think, is the affective dimension of this stuff. You're, yeah. There's a reason why it ends on this this really this melancholy note of wanting to be reunited with his lost limbs and feeling like he's a fraction of a man and not himself. Like this this loss just as he's encapsulated in this just as we finish the case of George Dedlow, he still fe- always feels unfinished to himself. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, I don't disagree. I I just think that there's like more than that those have a relationship to each other, right? So like the case study yeah. is maybe and I don't know a different genre than the case but they live next to each other totally but you're absolutely right there's like an unfinished quality that strikes me as really important and also like it's always a strange case isn't it oh it's always like a case study is an exemplar but a case is something like an outlier that actually tells us about an exemplary thing but anything can be a case that's true. So, the, so I think I'm actually confused and need help and and need help a little. But I think that's what I get lost on in the case case study distinction because you can there can there are simple cases and there right. are complicated mm-hmm. cases. You, what you have to have is a container to put the thing in. Right. Like you have to have uh before you can have a case, you have to have like a genre for the case so it has to be like a medical case or whatever case i think i don't i don't know i'm just making shit up (laughs) the podcast (laughs) yeah well and also i mean i don't know like and maybe this is kind of a false start but like as you can relate it sort of certain ideas about what narrative is doing 
more generally, right? Like, or, you know, and maybe have the literary, right? Or like why this is fiction. Like, I mean, I'm sure where Mitchell had like tons of uh, uh, like really kind of like horrific real world things that he could have written up. But there's like the experience of reality, particularly under these horrific conditions of, of, of like mass war and suffering are uh, deeply, fr- uh, they're fragmenting and they're alienating. And the narrative tries to give you some coherence back, even though like one point at the end, it's just like affectively there. It is, I mean, you, this, this character still feels fragmented, but it's like the kind of writing through it is like trying to make sense of that in a way that like the reality may not have any sense to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think the writing of it is making a case of it. Mm-hmm, is that, is right. that so yeah. wildly obvious? I'm sorry, I realize no, that that might no, I don't think like, no, no, I don't think so because I, I think that's no, I think that's essential because right, I mean, it doesn't yeah. like yeah, I mean, you could make a case of anything, but you have to make it into a case, right? Yeah, I think that's what I'm yeah. saying is that like again, like having written it is having made it into a case. Because otherwise, it's just a weird that. thing that happened. And it's not like an object. Of, that's it. It's an object of study that is written out. Yeah. And it, and totally, totally. And it has to be you, you sort of have to have some professional, you have to have, you have to be a professional to or pretending or LARPing as one. <laughs> right. You have to, to be like, a diagnostic, whether you're a real guy or not. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes you're a doctor and sometimes you're a fucking cop. And I do think that like the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is relevant in the sense that it's like, oh, the cop as the as the looking for the social disease. Yeah. And the doctor as the other pathologies of the human, right? Right. But you're looking yeah. for something pathological. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. That's and again, cool. which can, gets back to like the, the aberration is marking the case, even though the aberration tells us something like broadly applicable. Yeah, no. T- yes, you have to be you should be able to you should be able to learn something from it. You should always be able to learn something from it based on where it fits and how it works as a diagnostic tool, I guess. I mean, that sounds like as though it would be boring and it's so not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, it is uh well so shall we play a game we shall play a game and what we're gonna do is a little palate cleanser about psychology and friendship let's say oh the best things (laughs) the best things in life you can get through from the real housewives so (laughs) i we, we began with the leg throwing incident i think that i've made i think i've made my case that there are some surprising Real Housewives connections here. What I would like is to solve some cases, some cases of friendship crime. <laughs> and it would be is this about fake friends. I have heard the term fake friends, and I'd like to know more. <laughs> it, it is it is about fake friends and drama. Yes. <laughs> um. And so I was hoping that you two could possibly adjudicate. Uh, some of these conflicts. Yeah, always. And just, I want to know, I want to know who's right. Okay. And um, there is a right answer and a wrong answer here, according to the housewives and me. <laughs> so. I mean, you're scoring it. I, of course. Yes. And charge. I take, I take that very seriously. Okay. So the first dispute, we can call it as a shorthand. I'm being nailed to the cross like Jesus was. Because that's what a real housewife actually says during a fight. 
So I'm really taking that in. Okay, go. Sorry, we can keep going. I'm just gonna be, you know, chewing on that for a while. Yeah, we're we're all part of us is always gonna be back there. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, there's a big fancy baptism party for Tamra, Tamra Judge. And she's about to be dunked into a swimming pool by a uh, megachurch pastor who is wearing all white. And so a grown-up person is being baptized. Yes, that is correct. And she's wearing a full face of makeup while she's doing it. Of course. And she takes the time to, of course, take a a little jab at her ex-husband for that. And she says, for that person who put me through the pain, I forgive you. I thank you and I pray for you every single night. Um, I'm praying for you. <laughs> and so then pa- Pastor Mike says, yay, you're baptized. And so then she's baptized, hooray. So we have Tamara, who is saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And But then we have Vicky Gunvalson, real estate insurance mogul and all around bad person. <laughs> And during this season- I mean, season, the word mogul should have already led us in that direction. I use the term very loosely. <laughs> but she has a boyfriend this season who is pretending to have cancer and he does not. Oh, oh my God. And he has oh, done this. This is not the first rodeo of doing that for him. She bought him some teeth. He didn't have any. Or he had some. He was missing one. One or two teeth in the front. And she got him a full set of veneers. And they were a showpiece. They were a real show pony of the season. Everyone was very thrilled about these teeth and wanted to know how much they cost, et cetera, et cetera. And also, the boyfriend is saying that he's cured his cancer with juice fasts and such. Uh, Yeah. So so this has caused quite a bit of uh, consternation among the ladies. And Vicky does not want to be around them. She says she doesn't want any conflict, but yet she has brought her brother with her to start other conflict. (laughs) And um, she is then confronted by Heather Dubrow, who is a real housewife whose husband is the surgeon from Botched. Okay. Oh, my God. Uh, Terry Dubrow. Yes. And what's happened is uh, the boyfriend, who does not have cancer, Brooks, said that Terry Dubrow – uh, rescued him from having to go to the emergency room by coming to give him an IV drip. So it didn't happen. It was bullshit. So Heather takes Vicky in front of the camera and decides to find out what's what. And here's what Vicky says. And then we're going to end it here. You can decide who's right, who's wrong. She says, I don't know if these ladies are my enemies or if they're just confused. I am trying to be a pillar of strength. Satan is the author of confusion. He wants them all to be confused. I know the truth. And I will pray for everyone who is confused. <laughs> and then, oh God, never mind. Forget it. I, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. Ugh. There's so much. Did the real happens. housewives break you? I, I know I I like I hope I hope Vicky's praying for me because I am quite confused. By, like, yeah, just the just the like, I, I just heard a bunch of words. Yeah, I'm confused I, now. Yeah, I, mean, I I get what a train wreck this show is, but I I I, I mean like when you, <laughs> the games where we talk about the Real Housewives, I'm always like I it's like I I don't there's too many moving pieces here, man. You know. 
There are a lot of moving pieces. There are a lot of moving pieces, but there is there is moral clarity. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think some of the confusion also comes from our having like extremely responsible drinking habits. Yeah, that's true. Right. Yes. And yeah. not being regularly drunk on television or in our lives or at breakfast or every other place that these people are. And so like drunk rich lady logic is very hard for me to access. It is. It is. But yes. but so the, is the question whether Vicky is right or not? Is that the is that what we're getting at? Yeah, the question is is does Vicky have Okay, and and not even is Vicky right or not. Does Vicky is there any is there any chance like can even Jesus buy this baloney? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, like I will say I, I you know, one thing that I, I I miss about being a godless heathen is not being able to deploy Satan in arguments. I and was be thinking like, yeah. that that I was more in that one because like Satan is the author of confusion is kind of yeah. like delightful. Yes. It is, yeah. And and I kinda I like that. It's like you're wrong and it's because of Satan. So yeah, I exactly. I'm gonna I'm gonna yes. side with the person that can just deploy that, you know. If you liked that I'm just going to tell you this is what else she said because you're going to love this. She says, um, she's, she's, she can she can do Satan and she can also do Jesus. She says, I know Jesus and I know the truth and I'm good with it. And I've done nothing wrong. I'm being nailed to the cross like Jesus was <laughs> and he did nothing wrong. Oh, He's Jesus Christ. See, that's perfect. He that's, did nothing that's wrong. Awesome. That's, that's awesome. how I feel. Accuse the people that you're fighting with of being uh, deluded by Satan and compare yourself to Christ. That's that's a fucking power move. That's a power move. That's Christ-like. Yeah. <laughs> it just yeah. really, like, I mean, I admire that, 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 I admire the degree of self-reflection. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So who's so who's in the wrong here? And and I do want to say just quickly here that Jesus is an option that you can pick. Uh. <laughs> like, do we think Vicky has a leg to stand on? Is Jesus the real villain here? Is Tamara the villain for having an, a a pool party with Pastor Mike? Yeah, yeah, mm. I, I think so. I I, I think I, I yeah. I think. I mean, I've already decided I'm on Vicky's side here, just because I'm blown away by the. Uh, yeah, I think I'm on Vicky's side here too. And and I think okay. that having a, a, I mean, just one, don't don't have pool parties, don't invite pastors to your pool parties, don't you know? So yeah, I I th- yeah, screw screw Tamara. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I just don't think. I mean, like pool parties are less and less appealing to me since we've all lived in the after times of of being collectively sick but now it's just it just seems particularly icky yeah dr- drunk uh and and lots of snot all over the place particularly children involved mm-hmm. as they generally are with pool, pool parties yeah yeah also oh, just yeah. like drunk and and a big pool of water seems unwise yeah, yeah. oh the the unwisest <laughs> anything around these ladies is unwise like one time there was a cake and there was a big fight about somebody who ate one of the pieces of frosting off the cake <laughs> sure <laughs> things they can't have pools yeah. cakes yeah. yeah baptism jesus yeah. everything else yeah um okay so we're you're both going with um you're both siding with vicky here yeah okay so these the none of them are the next one is not even as complicated. We're going to go through it real fast. Okay, so the Real Housewives of New York City are in the Berkshires, or as they call them, the Berserkshires. Mm-hmm, yeah, Countess Luanda Lesseps 
is very pissed because Carol Radzivill, as she pronounces it, who, yes, is one of those related to Lee Radzivill uh, by marriage, started dating Luann's young chef, who also dated Luann's niece. Now, what happened next is that they got into pissy, bitchy arguments about it, and Luann eventually called Carol a pedophile. <laughs> so how young is this young chef? He is in his 20s. Mm-hmm. He's in his t- he, he's a chef. Right. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's yeah. not he's a not, he's not on top chef kids. Yeah, he's on yeah, regular yeah. Top well, chef. No, it was worth yeah. asking. I yeah. don't know. Yes. Yeah. No, it well, yeah. You're you're right. Yeah. But he's a he's an adult man. Okay. But Luann does try to extend an olive branch by texting. Sorry, I called you a pedophile. <laughs> I hope you'll come to my next holiday party. I mean, so that's growth. <laughs> that's growth right there. You know, yes. we all learn from our mistakes. That's, you know, if you're going to, yeah. if you're going to call someone a pedophile, you know, and, and it's a mistake, you know, own it in a text and extend an invitation to your holiday. I, I see no foul here, really, you know. So perhaps uh, there are no wrong people here. Maybe it's okay <laughs> to date the adult chef and maybe it's, okay to call your friend a pedophile if you apologize later? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Everyone's a winner? Is that yeah. where we're going? I'm yeah. not sure it's okay to call your friend a pedophile. Did Am I going apolog- on a limb here? She apologized via text and it yeah. said that she hoped that, that you come to the holiday party. <laughs> and she didn't even remember she called her a pedophile. She didn't Ramona. remember it? Yeah, she had a housewife's amnesia. I also had to say, like, <laughs> just to be clear here, I like I all of these are so hypothetical to me because, like, imagining myself to care about any of these people is yeah. like such a, a stretch that it's like, ah, sure, like, like you know, let's let's roll like, the like dice. Let's yeah. pedophiles. Who yeah, cares? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, these are grown. These are adults, I know. by the yeah, way. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's uh, jobs and families yeah. and children. Yeah, they have. They also have more resources than anyone. Yeah. They do. I don't even know. But I'll go with the crowd. <laughs> no assholes here. No assholes. Um, and here's the last one. This is a fight be- from the Real Housewives in Jersey between Teresa Judice, as she says it, or the Wait, accolade- she says Judice? She says Judice because it's easier. This is boggling especially given that her kids have all these goo goo first names i know i know but she, that's how that's how the family says it so <laughs> wow we'll do it. wow yeah. i am just like i'm i don't even know what to say she's more new jersey than she's anything else that's certainly um, true and this is a very new jersey argument it takes place in an italian restaurant <laughs> named uh it's like it's like Pilaro or some bullshit, and, it, and it's like just a bunch of pillars. The, it's weird. The Suvio. Um, yeah, exactly. The yep. Is it? Could it yeah. also be in Las Vegas? Is that? Is it that sort of <laughs> Italian Italian restaurant? Yeah. It could be, and this is like they're they're like in the basement. So, um, okay. So here's what's going on. Everyone hates Danielle because she's a trollop or something. Well established. And from the beginning yes. of the show, yeah. Quite quite so. So there are there's this book. It's called Cop Without a Badge. And um, it's being handed around New Jersey. And it contains facts like or it, it contains allegations. It, it contains allegations. Not liable. 
whatever <laughs> not parody um that that she was uh that she did she was involved in a kidnapping case and um arrested for, for being a coke dealer and um and Teresa J- Teresa Judice Mrs. J- Mrs. Judice no longer Jesus is uh is handing out the book and they're at a dinner Danielle has her kids there of course and she's uh she brings the book out she confronts her about uh about spreading it all around and Teresa loses her damn mind and screams you're a whore with your fake and square tits you've been engaged 19 times and then flip so she doesn't really flip over the table but she kind of she removes all of the things <laughs> she does the tablecloth trick but all the stuff comes yeah, off the yeah, yeah, yeah. who's right here the woman who is gotten everyone so hot and bothered that she ruined this is not the first dinner party she's ruined with her fake and square tits <laughs> or the woman who followed her instincts uh to a federal penitentiary i think actually is what happened there uh danielle's square tits and Teresa's hairline are the winners of this yeah correct yeah yeah no i i, I think yeah i mean that <laughs> i think that's pretty pretty obvious um Although I have to say, winners. I'm, I'm, I, I can't, I don't, I can't. You tell me the person's name, and then I can't keep the name attached to the story that follows. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is, a real, <laughs> this is a challenge. Well, because they are so like perfectly lined up to the places yeah. that they are, so you're like, oh, Teresa yeah. and Danielle have got to be the Jersey ladies. Yeah, 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 yes. uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, I, 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 I side, I side with, with, with her. <laughs> Just it's like whatever she said, that's what she, I'm going that's, with. That's, that's it. I no, I mean seriously, I was try, I was really trying with this one, and I just I don't I don't know who has the square tits or not, man. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel has the square tits, and Teresa has the the craziest hairline. Okay, yeah, all right. And she gets a, she gets her boob job next season, and she loves it. Okay, well, um, that's that's she's great. Very happy about it. You know, like, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to begrudge anybody a boob job. I'm just saying, like, I love the line. Yeah, the yes, the, li- the line's baller. The line is baller. Yeah, it's it's so baller. Okay, so we're both. So am, am I correct in saying you're both siding with Teresa or the y- fake and square tits? Yes, we're siding with the tits <laughs> and the hairline. Those yeah. are the okay. those. Uh, you said we could side with anybody we wanted. Yeah, you yeah. can. Yeah, you absolutely can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So okay, so the tits and the hair, the hairline. I'm not leaving the. T- I'm not leaving the tits go. I, the hairline's a real winner for sure, though. Um. Okay, so. You are 100% correct, and the other correct answers that are the even truer correct answers are Tamara's right number one, Carol's definitely right number two, Teresa's right number three, and I'll fight anyone who just like <laughs> <laughs> flipping a table. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the, 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 tab- the pulling the tablecloth except everything comes off is pretty – that is a very Jersey move right there you know. <laughs> yes it's the only move as far as i'm concerned yeah yeah <laughs> it's the only one that matters yeah well you know thank you it's always just such a pleasure to return to the 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 <laughs> housewives and their adventures it's a, a well a full uh, well full well so this has been better than dead you can find me on twitter at tustlersaurus you can find tristan on twitter at tj schweiger you can find katie on twitter at katie crywo 
You can find the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Better Ed Pod. And email us at betteredpodcast at gmail.com, but only if you want to tell us about how you're really a doctor. No, really. You didn't <laughs> go to school, but you really are a doctor. <laughs> Relevant also to our McTeague episode, by the way. Yeah, um, true. Our intro music is Left Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And next week, we continue Halloween with a picture of Dorian Gray, and our two-parter is on Pierre after that. So thanks, comrades. <laughs>